0: please turn with me to your study outline, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are watching online. We are so glad for the hundreds of you that join us every Sunday as we study God's Word together, also for our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also at the Hangar in Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study here this morning as well. Uh, this is a very exciting week for us here at our church. We have a couple of milestones that we're passing tonight um, at the Hub at five o'clock clock at Purpose Church. Hope you'll come out to help us celebrate our one-year birthday. We're going to have tacos and birthday cake. Doesn't that sound like a tantalizing combination? And we're going to have balloons and and be celebrating. I'm going to be sharing a special message, God's plan, master plan, God's master plan for planet Earth. Also from the book of Acts, as this morning is going to be from the book of Acts as well, as we celebrate this milestone. Praise God for what He has done in our first year, and praise him for what he is going to do in the coming year. And so love to see you tonight at five o'clock. Some great worship and study of God's word. Great time together. Dinner afterwards. Would love to see you tonight at five o'clock. And then also at Claremont on Thursday evening at 630, Flood is celebrating their two-year birthday, their second birthday at the Claremont location. So uh, the first birthday tonight at five o'clock for the Hub or Purpose Church, and then Flood, uh, part of Purpose Church, 630 on Thursday night, we'll be celebrating their second birthday, and we'd love to have you come out and celebrate those milestones with us. Now today, this morning, Pastor Greg really started things off in Ephesians last Sunday with our series, Rooted in Purpose. But now I'm going to pivot and the remainder of the series is going to be from the book of Acts. And I just thought this was such an appropriate study for us to do in the weeks ahead because we have just come off probably the most amazing year in the 145-year history of of our church. Just as far as baptisms, people coming to Christ, uh, changed lives, numeric growth, uh, giving growth, all these kind of things, the momentum campaign, we are just uh, coming off of just an unbelievable year and so you always ask the question, Lord, how can we be humble in your sight? How can we stay in the right direction? Uh, Lord, when you're blessing, that sometimes is the greatest time that we can get off kilter. Success sometimes can, can breed uh, a lack of focus uh, because we just begin to depend on the success rather than on the Lord. And so I was prayed about it. Lord, what book would you have us to study to keep going in the same direction, continue the momentum that we've had this past year, And the book of Acts is where the Lord led me uh, to to turn for our series for the weeks ahead uh, here as we start off in January. So the title of the series, based on the book of Acts, is Rooted in Purpose. The title of our study this morning from Acts chapter 1 is Don't Let Your Confusion Stop You. George Barna, the great pollster of American uh, social and religious trends, asked uh, Christians in America what is the purpose of your church? Ask American Christians across the country, what is the purpose of your church? And 90% responded, the purpose of my church is to meet my needs. That's what 90% responded. Now, we certainly want to meet people's needs here at our church. And we are always asking the questions, how can we most effectively meet the needs of our congregation? But that's not our primary focus, You can find it right within our name, finding purpose in Christ, in community, for the journey. We have found that when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus says, and then all these things will be added to you as well. That when we seek first to fulfill God's plan and purpose for our lives individually and corporately together as a local church body, We find that our needs are met in doing that if our focus is not on meeting our needs, but instead in fulfilling the purpose and plan that God has for our church and for our individual lives. You find that if you're always seeking happiness, always seeking to have your needs met, they're always just beyond your grasp. But when instead we pursue Christ and his purpose and plan for our lives, lo and behold, happiness and joy comes and taps us on the shoulder and our needs are met as we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus promises, and then all these things will be added to you. Now, we shouldn't feel so guilty that we tend to get off in that direction because this has been around for 2,000 years. The disciples, the final question they asked Jesus before he went back to heaven is this question. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That was their final question. Uh, Jesus, we've sacrificed for you for the past three years. It's been a tough three years. Now it's our turn. What are you going to do for us? Uh, At this time, you're going to restore your kingdom, and each one of us get to reign on thrones side by side with you. And Jesus gently rebukes them in verse 7 and pivots them in the right direction in verse 8. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, that's your new assignment in Jerusalem, in the city of Pomona, uh, in all Judea and Samaria, in the towns and cities of the Inland Empire, the Inland Valley, where we work, uh, where, where we live, where our oikos uh, lives, and then to the ends of the earth through our missions giving and through our missions program. That's supposed to be our new assignment to impact the city of Pomona to impact Judea and Samaria, the surrounding towns in which we live and which we work, and then to the ends of the earth. And with this verse, with these words, Jesus launched the greatest movement in world history. Uh, The 12, eventually, because of the defection of Judas Iscariot, became the 11. But now when Jesus says this, there are about 120 of them. 2,000 years later, I put down 2 billion, but I should have put 2.5 billion. About a third of the world's population in some way says that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. 7.2 billion people in the world today. About 2.5 billion are followers of Jesus in in some, uh, if you use the broadest definition, of followers of Christ. Only Christianity has at least some followers in all 238 countries. Uh, There are now followers of Christ in 11,500 of the 12,600 ethno-linguistic people groups. And we're going to talk more about that tonight in my message um, uh, tonight, God's Master Plan for Planet Earth. Christians now speak 12,500 of the 13,500 of the world's languages. Now, um, these are the good old days. Sometimes we think, wouldn't it be exciting to live in the days of the early church in the first or second century. Or maybe we look back to a great time of missionary expansion in the 1800s or in the 1940s or 1950s. But if you look statistically at what God is doing in the world today, these are the good old days. We are living in the best time to be alive. And like I said, I'll talk more about that this evening. The percentage of world population who are Christians During different time periods. Now we're going to change it. And instead of saying a third of the world's population, which is the broadest definition of Christian. I mean, we're talking about cultural Christians that are not born-again Christians. We're talking about people born into so-called Christian nations in places like Europe and otherwise. Uh, We're talking about the broadest definition. Now let's narrow it down to say hardcore Bible-believing, born-again followers of Jesus Christ. Bible-believing, they've been born again, they're following Christ, they're sold out to Christ. Now let's take that narrower definition. And you will see that with that narrower definition, the body of Christ is growing even faster than it is in a more general sense. The, the, the church of Jesus Christ around the world is not only growing wider, but it's growing deeper. That is a higher and higher percentage of the followers of Christ around the world are now on fire, all-out committed followers of Jesus Christ, especially as the church explodes in places like Africa, uh, South America, and, and Asia. So with that narrower definition, 0.2% of the world were followers of Christ in 100 A.D. 0.45% in 1,000 A.D. 1.4% in 1500, 3.7% in 1900, 4.8% in 1950, 9.1% in 1980, 14.7% in 1992, and you can only imagine what it is now uh, some 20 years later. Let's look at it a different way. Ratios regarding the growth of Christianity. In the year 100, there were 360 non-Christians for every Christian. In the year 1000, there were 220 non-Christians for every Christian. In the year 1500, there were 69 non-Christians for every Christian. In 1900, there were 29 non-Christians for every Christian. In 1980, there were 11 non-Christians for every follower of Christ. In 1989, there were 7 non-Christians for every uh, Christ follower. And that number is probably, uh, you know, down to 5 or 6 today, 20 years later. Another way to look at it. Christians per 100 persons, the year in which the ratio of Christians to world population increases by one. In other words, the number of Bible-believing Christians as compared to the total number of people in the world, one per 100 in the year 1430. That is, to go from zero to one in 100, it took 1,430 years, two per 100 in 1790 Three per 100 in 1940, four per 100 in 1960, five per 100 in 1970. Any of you math phobes out there just uh, freaking out right now? Uh, Six per 100 in 1980, seven per 100 in 1983, eight per 100 in 1986, nine per 100 in 1989, 10 per 100 in 1993, and that number is probably uh, much, much higher today than it was in 93. Now, here's the point of all this. Christianity is growing much more rapidly in recent years. It's like a snowball uh, going down a hill, gathering more momentum and more size as it goes. To go from one per 100 to two per 100 took over 300 years, whereas to go from eight per 100 to nine per 100 took only three years. And that momentum is just continuing to the present time. And so you can see why I say that these are the good old days. These are the days to be alive. This is the time to be serving Christ. Uh, Billy Graham said, what a moment to be an ambassador for Christ. What an hour for the proclamation of his gospel. This is the time to make Christ known, whether we be pastor, teacher, evangelist, or layman. Billy Graham says, I intend to keep on going preaching the gospel, writing the gospel, as long as I have any breath. I hope my last word as I am dying, whether by bullet wound, by cancer, a heart attack, or a stroke, I hope my dying word will be Jesus. And all God's family said, amen. Uh, The church is unstoppable. And it becomes more unstoppable as every year goes by. We're like the little boy Who's pretending like he's the loudspeaker, uh, the announcer at Angel Stadium or Dodger Stadium, and he throws the ball up in his backyard. And he, as he throws it up, he says, The greatest batter in the world, and throws it up, swings, and misses. He says, The greatest batter in the world, throws up the ball, swings, misses. He says, The greatest batter in the world, throws up the ball, strike three, he misses. He picks up the ball, looks at it for a moment, and goes, What a pitcher! What a pitcher! <laughs> So even during times of hardship or downtimes or persecution, the church of Jesus Christ is absolutely unstoppable and becomes more so with every passing year. Now we're going to look at some principles for not letting our confusion stop us. Isolate the source of your confusion. What do we mean by don't let your confusion stop you? Well, confusion uh, is is from a Latin word which means to pour together. It means to mix different ingredients, or it means to be all mixed up. To have so many ingredients all coming at you at the same time that you are poured together and you become confused. Now, why do I say that the early church was confused? Well, look at what they they went through prior to the day of Pentecost. I mean, my goodness, on Palm Sunday, Jesus comes in as a conquering hero, and they think Jesus is going to defeat Rome. Five days later, rather than defeating Rome, Rome executes Jesus. Three days later, he rises from the dead. Forty days later, he ascends into heaven. Now it's 10 days later, and they're sitting in Jerusalem waiting for the gift of the, of the Holy Spirit. Do you see why they, they're, they're sitting there thinking, what is going on? I'm so confused. One minute he's walking into Jerusalem. Next minute he's rising from the dead. Then he's going back up to heaven. Now he tells us to go to Jerusalem and sit and wait. And when you get confused, sometimes it's very easy to become immobilized. How many of you, as you face the year 2015, just think there's an awful lot to be done this year? And there's so many competing voices. All kinds of priorities we could have in the coming year. It's like a parent who has multiple children calling their name at the same time. We're just like, oh my goodness, there's so many competing things out there. What should our family be involved in? What should I be involved in? What should my priorities um, uh, be? And it's all poured together together And if we're not careful, we get so confused we get immobilized and we don't fulfill God's purpose and plan for our life. And our life just flies by one year at a time without fulfilling the purpose for which we were made. Now, there are several different first steps that maybe God will lead you to take. But let me just suggest one of them is this rooted program uh, that we have, have been talking about. There's probably no better thing you could do to kick your Christian walk up a notch, to get a little bit deeper in the things of God, to to focus a bit more on what your purpose is and fulfilling that plan and purpose for your life. The number one thing I could recommend to you that we are doing as a church right now is, is rooted. That might be the first step that God wants you to take to go beyond the competing priorities of your life, to focus in on what is that one or two things that God wants you to do with your life. Let's watch this together. I think for Rudy, my expectations were were more apprehensive. I was kind of skeptical. What was I going to learn that was new and different? I probably know most of what they'll teach me. I thought it would be like another uh, intro to Christianity or a new believers class. It's another program to go through, another exercise to do. I just didn't know if I'd have time for it. It turned out to be something very different. It's designed as an experience. It's really changed my perspective on how to spend my time and talent. I feel like God has freed me and released me. I have received a new boldness. Just to to seek more of a relationship with God. There was a great importance placed on community. Within the first few weeks, I just fell in love with my Rudy group. It was just exciting to see God working and changing and just the bond. We were able to grow, and God just stirred things in our hearts. These were like some of my closest friends. Don't hesitate. God is going to meet you in a most unexpected way. Life with people is extremely important. I dare you to try to go through it without your life being changed. Right in front of you in the book rack are the rooted registration forms. I invite you to take one of those out there. There are four different ones that are offered uh, throughout the week. And by the way, if your primary place of worship is at the Pomona campus, you can still go to one of the ones at Claremont. They're all identical. Or if you primarily go to Claremont, you can go uh, to the ones here at Pomona campus based on your child care needs and based on your time schedule. We will offer two of them here on the Pomona campus on Tuesday night and on Wednesday night and then two Claremont on Thursday night and Sunday night. And all four are identical. Tuesday, Wednesday at Pomona, Thursday or Sunday here at Claremont. And it starts in two weeks. And so I'd encourage you to either register online or fill this out and take it to one of the rooted tables. One on the south end of the lobby or one on the north end of the lobby. And I guarantee God will use this in a powerful way to begin to help us to fulfill uh, our purpose and not to get so distracted and confused by so many competing voices for our time that we fail to fulfill the thing that God put us on planet Earth for. Now, three necessary components for moving forward. Number one is to have an underlying confidence. That is, don't doubt in the darkness what you knew to be true in the light. Hang on to the facts of God's word even when you go through a time of doubt or confusion. Uh, Luke writes in Acts chapter 1, in my former book, Theophilus, uh, Luke wrote a double book. One was the Gospel of Luke, and it was meant to be followed by the book of Acts about the early church. And so it's really a two-part volume uh, written by Luke. And when I think of the name Luke, I had to laugh a little bit. I was thinking back a number of years. Luke Van Ginkel is a wonderful young man within our church family. He's a senior at Upland High School. He has fought uh, diabetes his whole life. As a matter of fact, some of you may have seen at the county fair, at the LA County Fair, he had a display there. His mother has saved every needle that has given him insulin since he was a little boy. And there were thousands of them piled up there. Uh, in his display, and he gave tribute to the Lord and his faith in Christ. Uh, whenever he's um, interviewed by newspapers, at Los Angeles Times or all the major newspapers all across uh, the Southland, he always gives um, tribute to, to Christ. And uh, he's interviewed often because of his fight with diabetes. He's also an outstanding athlete and a star place kicker for the Upland High School uh, football team. Well, I remember years ago when he was about six or seven years old, he's over at our house playing with our son Noah. And uh, they were doing lightsabers like Star Wars, a lightsaber fight with each other. And I said, Oh, Luke. I said, Were you named after Luke Skywalker? And he goes, Yeah, I was. Now, Kimberly, my wife, knew that that was not the case. She had been teaching Partners in Christ Sunday school class. They were doing a series on the book of Luke when Luke was born, and and Pete and Lori, his parents, decided that would be a great name to name their son. And so she goes, oh, Luke, that's that's not true. You know you're named after Luke in the Bible, not after Luke Skywalker. And he goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, Darn it. was was bummed about it. Well, my guess would be as today, as a 17-year-old, he's uh, more inspired by his name and would actually prefer this one to to Luke Skywalker. He says, in my former book, Theophilus, uh, theos meaning God, phileo meaning love, so his name means lover of God. Uh, We believe, many Bible scholars believe this may have been a Roman official and that Luke and Acts were written for Paul's legal defense team. Uh, Some Bible scholars believe that Luke wrote the books of Luke about the life of Jesus and acts of the early church to be used by Paul's legal defense team against the Roman Empire uh, in his trial before Nero. And so he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. He says in Luke chapter one, verse three, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated, notice these phrases, everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Do you see those phrases there? Careful investigation, orderly account, so that you can know the certainty of the things that you've been taught. Uh, Luke was a scientist. He was an historian. He was a doctor. He wanted evidence. He uh, believed in objectivity when it came to the facts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, we would say that Luke was left-brained. In Colossians chapter 4, he says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor. Luke chapter 1, verse 1, many have undertaken to draw up an account of of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses. Luke had a unique perspective. He was an outsider. He was not one of the 12 disciples. He was a Greek. He wasn't Jewish. And so he said, I want to give you the facts so that you can hang on to the facts during your time of darkness, during your time of doubt. Never doubt the facts of what you knew to be true when you walked in the light. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Do you see that phrase? Convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, not just once, but over and over and over again and spoke about the kingdom of God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to safest, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appealed, appeared to me also. Um, just a little bit of a heads up uh, about what's going to happen the last weekend of February and the last Sunday Of February. We are helping to co sponsor a conference called Embrace the Truth, in which we're going to have some of the best speakers across America on the truthfulness, the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ on its historical basis, its scientific basis. It'll be a conference for left brainers, and maybe you'll want to attend if you're a left brainer or bring somebody from your Oikos. And then to top it off, on Sunday morning, At all the services here on Sunday, the last Sunday in February, we're going to have a phenomenal speaker named Gary Habermas, who's considered the world's foremost expert on the resurrection and defense of the historicity of the resurrection. He's written 40 books, 20 of them, on the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some have said that the resurrection of Jesus is the most validated event in all of human history. And Gary Habermas is the world's foremost expert in defending the, the validity of uh, the authenticity of the resurrection of Jesus. So circle that on your calendars. Last Sunday in February, it's going to be an outstanding event to be at and to invite a left-brained friend uh, within your oikos to. The number two is resource power. He says at the beginning of verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then number three, Sustaining structure. Reaffirm your ultimate goal. We always have to be reminded, you know, I often said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. And we're always getting confused. We're always pouring other things in there. Jesus plus this, or Jesus plus this secondary issue, or Jesus along with a hundred other things, and Jesus gets gets lost in the process. Um, uh, um, Philip... um, do I don't remember the name of our uh, former uh, head of our TV ministry here and our media uh, ministry. Uh, he came up to me after the 830 service, and uh, Phil Jackson, and, and he told me a funny joke that he had heard Jade Vernon McGee, and he was re- 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 writing his writings the other day, and Jade Vernon McGee said, this, uh, this guy goes up to this girl, and he says to her, um, I, I'd like to ask you to marry me. And he says, look, I don't have money like Harry, Uh, But I still want you to marry me. And I'm not good-looking like Harry, but I'd like you to marry me. And I don't have all these particular skills and a great job like Harry, but I'd like you to marry me. And she goes, well, I'd like to consider that, but tell me more about Harry. Uh, Anyway, you know. I think I told that joke right off the cuff. It's always dangerous to tell a joke off the cuff, and uh, and so th- that's our problem. We we get off of Jesus, you know. It's like it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But then we have this tendency to get confused, to pour other things in there, and and to add to it. And we constantly have to be reminded. Even the disciples who asked that last question. Hey, Jesus, what's in it for me? And he says, well, don't worry about that. Seek first to spread the message around the world. You've got 7.2 billion people to reach, and you've got to build an infrastructure to reach them 2,000 years from now, for the next 2,000 years. and, and But even after Jesus left, the next moment, they have to be reminded yet again in verse 9. After he said this, after Jesus said this, go into all the world, preach the gospel, you'll receive power, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. They were thinking about the good old days. They were thinking, oh my goodness, he's gone. And we had him for three years They were looking behind them. They were staring up into the sky thinking about the good old days of the past when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Let's get moving. Let's go. 7.2 billion and rising to reach. Let's get going. Now, then we identify the next step. What is that next step? Whenever you get confused, whenever I have a day, you ever have a day where just like a 100 things going on, you don't know where to start? And and the thing I always try to do is just start somewhere. Just do something. And then do something else. And then do something else. And lo and behold, the day begins to clarify itself as, as time goes on. And so what's the next step for you? Um, Maybe it's rooted. Maybe rooted is that next step uh, as you step into 2015 to fulfill God's plan for your life. Maybe it's to be a part of a Bible reading program. If you've never read, uh, had a daily plan to read the Bible on a daily basis at the Resource Center. We've got all kinds of plans. We've got a a five-minute-a-day, Monday through Friday plan where you can read through the New Testament. Just five minutes a day, Monday through Friday, you'll read through the New Testament in 2015. You can read through the Old Testament in in 2015, 10 minutes a day. You can read through the whole Bible in 15 minutes a day. And we've got those plans out there at the Resource Center. Maybe that's the step uh, that, that you need to take. Um, you know, what is that next step? Maybe it's to join a small group, an adult Bible study group, um, a, um, a life group. Maybe that's what your next step Maybe it's to join a ministry, to start serving in a particular uh, capacity. Uh, wh- what is that next step? Now, for the disciples, he, he tells them, get going. You've got to reach the world for Christ. But then it's very interesting in verse four, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but Wait. For the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Now, I tell you, if God just told me, reach 7.2 billion, there's no time to sit around. No time for prayer, no time for being still, no time for waiting on God, but that was the first step for them. They didn't know any of the other steps. They just knew, don't leave Jerusalem, stay there, be still, and wait. And one of the things I love about our Rooted program is that it's a combination of principles from a Southern California church and then from a church in Kenya. And I love that because there's so much that we, the church in North America and Europe, can learn from the church of South America, Asia, and Africa. I mean, that's where the explosive growth is taking place today. And so I want to learn from the church in Kenya. And so this rooted program is built on a Southern California church so that we know that it applies here, but also from a church in Kenya where God is doing such remarkable things. You, you hear so many great stories from Kenya. I always love the names that people pick for their children in Kenya. they are esoteric Bible names like Jehu and Jedediah and all these names that you, you never hear people call their children here, and yet they've got the names in Kenya. They name their businesses after biblical principles, after even Bible verses. I remember hearing a pastor say that he had visited in Kenya and he drives by this one in a big sign outside of a hair salon, Exodus 14 verse 14 hair salon. And so he ran to his hotel room, pulled out his Bible. What does Exodus 14 verse 14 have to do with getting your hair cut or your hairstyle? And he opened it up and it said, you need only to be still. That's what you need to do. You need only be still, and you'll get the haircut that you want to get, okay? So, uh, so Pastor Jay and I, we go to the same person that cuts our hair, and so we'll have to give that to him. You need only be still. Uh, when God, my friend Tom Mercer, you'll see it in the box there, when God calls you to do something significant, he will not tell you in advance who will be involved, He will not tell you in advance what the sequence will include. He will not tell you in advance how long the process will take. How many of you like to know all those things before you start something? I do. In the process of following God, you'll never see the third step. You'll seldom see the second step. You might not even see the first step clearly, and they will all be scary. But that's where the adventure of following Jesus comes in. That's where it gets exciting, where you step out by faith. And the bigger the job, the smaller the first step. I just read this past week. Somebody said, uh, take that big thing, the biggest thing you've got to do in 2015 and divide it into 365 equal parts. And it won't seem so big if you do it that way. What's the biggest project you got at work this next year? What's the biggest thing you need to do uh, for God? Uh, Divide it into 365 equal parts and it won't seem that big. The bigger the job, sometimes the smaller the first step. Verse 12, then the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Many Bible scholars believe this room was the upper room where the Lord's Supper was first celebrated. And that's how we're going to start 2015, by sharing the Lord's Supper. That's going to be our first step for the coming year. Uh, To remember, as Jesus said, as often as you do this, you remember my death until I come back the second time. So we look backwards and honor his death on the cross, even as we look forward, that we keep doing this again and again on a regular basis until Jesus uh, comes back. Everybody here is welcome to share the Lord's Supper. You just need to know that you're a follower of Jesus. You say, Glenn, I'm not sure if I'm a follower, if I'd like to become a follower of Jesus today, how would I do that? Well, if you look on the next page, the upper left-hand part of the next page from the finish of the study outline, you'll see the three steps that the Bible talks about, and then a little suggested prayer. And if you've ever prayed a prayer something like that in the past, or if you'd like to pray it today, that is your first step. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, I know what the first step is. It's not unclear. It's very clear. Receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord is the first step for you in the coming year. And I invite you to pray that prayer. What better way to launch into 2015 than to open up your heart as a follower of Jesus Christ. And then if you do that in the silence of your heart, you are welcome to show that publicly by receiving the bread that represents his body and the cup that represents his blood shed for us on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. To show it outwardly by receiving the Lord's Supper that you too, are a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's take just a moment now and prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.